Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this latest podcast from the Herbert Smith Freehills Pensions Team. I'm Tim Smith, a professional support consultant in the pensions team at HSF. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Catherine Chapman, Director at the Living Wage Foundation, and Shelley Morris, Senior Project Manager working on the development of the Living Pension. Catherine, Shelley, thank you for joining me. Hello. Hi. Thanks, Tim. Today we're going to be discussing the new employer accreditation, which has just been officially launched by the Living Wage Foundation, the Living Pension. This sits alongside and complements the foundation's other employer accreditations, the Real Living Wage and Living Hours. But Catherine, before we get on to talk about the Living Pension, could you just tell us a bit about what the Living Foundation does um, and some of the things that you're working on? Thanks, Tim. Um, yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us on. So the Living Wage Foundation, we're the organisation that works with employers across the UK to pay a real living wage. And that's a wage that's calculated based on what it costs to live. So what's needed for a decent standard of living, food, clothes, bills, rent, so on. Um, it's £10.90 an hour in the UK and £11.95 in London. And we have we offer an accreditation scheme. So, you know, employees get that badge um, for paying their directly employed staff the real living wage, but also crucially, their regular um, third party contractors like security guards, cleaners, caterers and so on. And that's where the real living wage campaign came from kind of 20 years ago. It was about cleaners, you know, getting up at night buses at four in the morning, coming into work to clean, um, you know, the offices of firms and getting home at 10 o'clock at night, not seeing their families. So that's kind of the heart of the campaign where it came from. And here we are now, um, you know, 20 or so years later, and we've got nearly 12,000, sorry, over 12,000 employers signed up to pay the real living wage. And that's directly lifted the pay for nearly half a million workers across the UK. So we've got over half the FTSE 100 as well as thousands of small firms. And so a few years ago, we started to kind of branch out, if you like, using that model of setting that benchmark for employers and working with the fantastic employers out there to get there. So we launched Living Hours, you mentioned, which is a standard for tackling insecure work. So it's decent notice of shifts, four weeks of shifts, um, 16 hour contracts, unless the employer requests otherwise and a right to request hours worked. And Living Pensions, if you like, is the next natural step that we're just really excited to be launching. And so that's all about providing that decent pension, that that higher than minimum, if you like, um, pension, particularly targeted at those earning the least. Um, so that's us, um, a bit of our history. And we're really excited to be here today. Yeah, really exciting and, and great to hear about the success and the impact that the, the Real Living Wage has had. Um, so, Shelley, tell us a bit more about the Living Pension and, and why you're launching it. Thanks, Tim. Again, great to be here. Thanks for having us. So, yeah, you know, by way of background, I'm sure most of your listeners will be well aware that auto enrolment introduced in 2012. It's a huge policy change. It created a massive increase in pension participation and it was definitely a big, big step in the right direction. But there have been a lot of questions around whether the amount that is required under auto enrolment is actually adequate in terms of providing um, an income and a pension pot that people will be able to live on in retirement. So go back a few years in 2020, the Resolution Foundation um, completed a feasibility study on the idea of having a living pension using the same approach as the living wage. So starting with a minimum income standard, looking at what savings pot would be required in order to be able to provide uh, that, that an acceptable standard of living in retirement, um, and then working back to a savings target based on that pot. And what that report showed was that there is a big gap between that living pension level that is needed and what is currently being provided for on um, auto enrollment levels, particularly for those on lower earnings. 
further to that research that the Resolution Foundation did last year, looking at how many um, people in DC pension savings currently, which is around 20 million in the UK, are saving at that level, the living pension level, and it, 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 the results were quite quite uh, shocking. You know, there's less than 20% um, that are overall saving at a living pension level. And when you look at lower earners, that's that's even less, with, with less than 5% um, currently on track for an acceptable standard of living in retirement. So we did a lot of consultation when we initially started this work with living wage employers and it showed a real support and appetite for living pension. And so we've, we've developed a living pension with low paid workers um, front and centre and with an emphasis on asking employers to shape their contribution structures in a way that will ensure everyone meets a savings baseline that they can then rely on in retirement. Um, the living pension standard builds on the work of the living wage that um, Catherine's outlined and what we're aiming to do here is to provide stability and security for workers not just now but also in the future. Same as living wage it is a voluntary savings target for employers that help workers to build a pension pot that will provide enough income to meet their basic everyday needs in retirement and calculated based on that real cost of living. Great as you say I think the need for this is is apparent and, and there's a general consensus that auto-enrolment, while it's solved the kind of participation problem, hasn't yet properly addressed the, the adequacy problem. So, so what standards would an employer need to meet in order to qualify for the living pension? Yeah, so to become a living pension employer, organisations will need to provide a living pension savings level, either through a cash or a percentage target. Um, and they must also make sure that they auto-enrol future new employees at that level. Um, so again, as I said earlier, like with the living wage, the living pension was calculated and based on a range of ages, relationship statuses and housing tenures, um, including private and social renting. So you'll know that traditionally a lot of projections on retirement tend to have tended in the past to assume that people own their own homes and will have paid those mortgages off by retirement. This work made sure to look across the board at people that would still be paying their mortgage in retirement and also people that will be renting. Um, and the, the the report estimated that a typical pension pot averaged out across all those different cohorts um, would be around £70,000. This was in 2020-2021 prices. Um, and that that plus the state pension would provide enough for someone to meet the minimum income standards in retirement. Um, to give an example, for a couple who are renting in the social housing sector, um, this would have been around £20,500 a year in 2020-21 prices. So that target was then worked back to a savings target based on the real living wage salary and through consultation and piloting of the standard um, over the last year, we set that target at 12%, um, but we also converted that into a cash target, which is just over £2,500 per year. By setting a cash underpin as well as the using the recognised percentage approach that most employers use, we're, we're allowing employers to manage their cost increase effectively whilst targeting those increases towards helping those that are earning the least and with the least amount of pension savings at the moment. Um, it's also required that employers will pay at least 7% of that 12% or if they're using a cash equivalent, at least 1500 or just under 1500 a year. And that that also is um, that, that we've set it at that level specifically as well to ensure that 
uh, employees aren't expected to pay more than the 5% statutory minimum that they will currently be paying under autumn enrollment and which are um, already accounted for in the living wage calculation that's up, updated every year. And I imagine there will be a lot of support out there for, for the living pension and the principles behind it. But I can imagine there might also be some pushback in terms of timing, given that we're in the midst of a cost of living crisis. And yeah. so some people might question whether now's the right time to be asking people to put more money into their pensions. What what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's difficult time for everyone at the moment, for employers, for workers. Um, so I suppose the first thing is, as, as Shelley said, this is about employers putting more into that contribution. So it's, it's not um, putting that onus on um and workers particularly lower paid workers be putting more money at this time but i suppose the, the other thing is that in developing this standard we spoke to lots of employers in our network and we were really struck by um the the kind of demand for this employers are all, already recognizing the pensions adequacy challenges and particularly for those who are perhaps earning the least in their in their companies so employers had already already knew that this was a problem and what many were already doing something about it so we worked with them over the past 12 months really closely. And of course, it's a voluntary initiative, um, you know, much like the living wage. Um, you know, we do know that for some, this might not be right now for them, but for many, um, it will chime and it will resonate. And actually, what we found with the living wage, um, we've seen record numbers of employers signing up in the past two years since the pandemic, since the cost of living crisis. In many ways, it's really shone that spotlight on um, low paid workers, but also businesses you know, wanting to do more in this space. We've we've really noticed that in recent years. So it's a difficult time in some respects, but it's also the perfect time in others because now is the time that employers are really focused on this as an issue, on these kind of um, problems around inequality and, and poverty and so on. But also um, it, it's an opportunity to differentiate from others in what is an increasingly um, competitive labour market. So again, it's about having that badge, if you like, that badge of good practice, uh, about having a, a kind of a better and market leading pensions offer as part of your employment package. So, you know, I think there's there's opportunities here uh, for employers as well as obviously some challenges. And there are already other industry initiatives such as things like the retirement living standards that the PLSA put out, pensions quality mark, which are designed to encourage people to save more and to recognise good quality pension provisions. So how is the living pension different to that? Yeah, so we, we see the living pension as working in tandem with those great initiatives. So as you say, the PLSA um, uh, have developed some really great uh, standards around pension quality mark, which has been around for, for over 10 years now, and retirement living standard more recently. Um, first of all, in terms of the similarities, in terms of retirement income that's targeted by living pension, it's roughly between the minimum and moderate outcomes that are in the retirement living standard. Um, that's as mentioned before because that it does assume different housing tenures so it will um, therefore be somewhere in that midpoint um, because it's assuming people may still be renting or paying mortgage in retirement but the, the underlying um, model is for both is exactly the same they both use the minimum income standard um, and they so they can very much be looked at side by side by employers and employees um, retirement living standards as we know, is invaluable in helping employees to picture what kind of lifestyle they might want to aspire to at retirement. And as well as the actual amount of contribution, one of the other requirements we're asking of employees is that they issue an annual communication to their employees. Um, and 
part of this is about making sure people understand what the living pension is aiming to do and what obviously the limitations of that might be um, and to encourage them to as we all do encourage them to plan individually as well um, and so within that we we're suggesting to employers that they do signpost individuals to the retirement living standards and also to um, sort of money planner tooling uh, services that are available on the MAPS website as well working in a complementary way with, with the retirement living standards Similarly, the pensions quality mark is a broad and robust standard. Um, we know it covers more than just contributions. It's also about governance and investments as well. But again, the 12% target is actually consistent with what we're doing. The difference with the living pension, though, is that we are focusing on contributions from employers being 7% or more, as opposed to the 6% matching that can be done through pension quality mark. And significantly, I think the main difference is that cash underpin, which allows, as I said, employers to focus their costs on low to middle income earners in terms of lifting up um, the, the pension adequacy for those workers. And what do you hope the living pension will achieve? Uh, what, what are your aims? What are your ambitions for the living pension? And, and are there any asks that you would make of government as you're launching this initiative? I mean, we would love living pensions to be the next living wage. So in the way that you could see the living wage and London living wage as a piece of almost like civic infrastructure, you know, it's that benchmark out there that has helped pull both the market in terms of employers accrediting and shifting pay up, but also the state and policymakers. You know, we've seen the fastest increase in the minimum wage um, since our campaign was launched. And indeed, the minimum wage rebranded as a national living wage in 2016. And so, you know, in a way, we'd, we'd love to see that same situation with, with living pensions, that it becomes that benchmark that employers are aspiring to. And it gives kind of headwind, if you like, for auto enrolment to go higher as well, closing that gap. And obviously, ultimately, this is all about um, ensuring that future generations can look forward to um, a decent standard of living in, in retirement. But, you know, that that's where we would love to see this in the next kind of five, 10 years. Uh, and in terms of government support, you know, it does make a difference when government is supporting what we're, what we're doing. Um, it's a voluntary standard. Um, it encour encouraging businesses to sign up, amplifying what we're doing is, is always really helpful. Great. So if employers, having listened to this, are interested in finding out more, what do they do? What, what are the next steps? So get in touch with us to find out more. <laughs> We've officially now launched Living Pension, as you mentioned at the beginning, Tim. <laughs> Uh, there's a handful of employers that are leading the way um, that have launched with us as part of this, including Herbert Smith Freehills. Um, so, and, and the employers that we've launched with are cut across a range of sizes and sectors. This is really important because we wanted to be able to show that it is possible for all types of organisations to do this, even in these challenging times. And you can find all the information out about the living pension on our website at livingwage.org.uk forward slash living hyphen pension. And um, I think we're going to put that link in the details with the podcast. Um, so, yeah, do get in touch, register your interest, and then we can discuss that with you further. It'd be great to hear from anyone that's interested. Great. Yeah, hopefully the um, requests start flooding in. Great. Well, it's great to hear about this new initiative. It's certainly been a pleasure working with you on it over the last kind of 18 months or so. And here at Herbert Smith, we're, we're certainly right behind it and, and hope it's a, a real success. That brings us to the end of the podcast today. Many thanks to Catherine and Shelley for joining me. Uh, and we look forward to following the success of this new initiative. I hope that you all enjoyed listening. And if you'd like to be notified about our future podcasts, please subscribe to our UK Pensions blog, Pension Notes, 
or subscribe via the Herbert Smith Free Hills channels on Spotify, iTunes or SoundCloud. If you've got any questions or feedback about the Living Pension, please don't hesitate to get in touch with the Living Wage Foundation or ourselves. Once again, thank you for listening.